I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Utah's source for exclusive access and insights behind the news. Here's the opinion page editor of the Deseret News, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome, everyone, to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Great to be with you today. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. And as always, we got a lot of ground to cover in the fastest 60 minutes of radio as we actually try to help you slow things down just a little bit, divide the rage from the reason, elevate the conversation, connect the dots, and help you make the news make sense. And there is a whole lot of it going on today. Uh, many people still uh, looking at the election in the rearview mirror. A few things still to be decided, both by votes and by courts. And so we're going to continue to monitor that closely. And, of course, one of the things that has been uh, really challenging for a lot of people to sort through uh, is all of the polling that goes on leading into a race. Uh, our good friend and independent pollster Scott Rasmussen, uh, also tag team partner with the Deseret News and the Hinckley Institute of Politics for some great polling here in the state of Utah, uh, joins us. Scott, it's great to have you, and uh, you, you've written a definitive piece uh, saying that it's time to put the election forecasting industry out of its misery. That's an interesting thing for a pollster to say. <laughs> Well, Boyd, you know, you have to look at the reality of where we are, and I think it's important to recognize that there's a lot of great things that polling can do. There's a lot of great work we've done with Deseret News and Hinckley Institute, you know, asking people what they think in Utah to get their sense of issues. But when it comes to election forecasting, there's this uh, growing desire by media outlets to have more and more information right up to the very end and what's going to happen. And uh, bluntly, that's not the best use of polling, and it creates some real problems. Uh, and one of the myths that they're trying to start this year is that everything was pretty good until 2016. Maybe it's Donald Trump's problem, or maybe the pollsters can't measure Donald Trump. Actually, as I you know discuss in that column at the Deseret News at Deseret.com, the election polling forecasting industry has had problems, has had mistakes, Serious issues every single presidential election of this century, and even some mistakes back in the 90s. So it's, it hasn't worked very well, and we need to rethink it from beginning to end. Yeah, and so let's talk about that, uh, because often uh, when we see these kinds of challenges in a particular industry, sometimes it's the, you know, what is the, what is the right job to be done? <laughs> and then how do we make sure we're actually doing the right job? <laughs> well, and, you know, one of the things that I looked at, and it's it's just there, there's both a, um, you know, a, just part of a natural process for a pollster. After an election, you look at what happened. And 
in every election, there are things that went well and things that didn't in the polling. So you try to make sense of it. Uh, my national polling showed that uh, Donald Trump would end up losing by about five percentage points to Joe Biden if there was a strong Republican turnout. And that looks like it's about what's going to happen. Um, and because of that polling, I wrote in, in the Deseret News that, you know, there's a range of potential outcomes, a possible narrow electoral college victory for Donald Trump to a modest victory for Biden. Uh, but so many people were expecting a big blue wave. You know, what was the reason for that? So many people were surprised. And, and the polling was pretty far off in some of the key battleground states. What was going on there? Uh, and I think what happens is uh, we're asking, you know, you, you need a screwdriver. And instead of saying is it a Phillips header or, or a straight edge, you end up saying, no, we need a hammer instead. <laughs> Polls are very good at setting out a general sense of the race. The polling I did a few weeks early for the Utah 4 congressional race showed it was going to be a toss-up. There was no value to be gained by doing another poll on Election Eve because other data was going to drive it. Turnout was what really mattered. And we need to begin to recognize there's other data sources that are more valuable. And I called on public pollsters to stop doing pre-election polls in the two weeks before a campaign. Uh, you know, the line that I've had thrown back at me a lot of times is that we've been behaving like bartenders who serve one shot of whiskey too many to a customer. And then we pretend to be surprised when there's a car accident. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, and so we really just need to stop providing that information. And instead, let's focus more on voters. Yeah, I think that's such a, such an important part of that process. And uh, if you're just joining us, we've got uh, pollster Scott Rasmussen uh, on the line, and he's talking about how we need to, to shift gears in terms of election forecasting in particular. Uh, and uh, as you were just saying, Scott, uh, getting down to about the voters. So what is the what is the proper path forward as we look at uh, how things happen uh, rolling into next year? Well, there. There is no world in which I would have all of the answers to that question right now. What I know is, is there is a starting point, and the starting point is we have two runoff elections in the state of Georgia that will determine control of the U.S. Senate. Uh, I am not going to do last-minute polling in that race. I will conduct two surveys. Uh, they will be larger samples, and they will focus more on getting an understanding of how voters view the candidates and the parties and what their underlying attitudes are. And, yes, we will have the horse race information, uh, but it will be presented in a manner that says there's a range of potential outcomes. Um, and here are the things to watch for. You know, if African-American turnout gets to this level, this would be very good for the Democrats. If something else, if the non-college educated whites reach this level of support, that would be good for the Republicans. Um, and again, I think it's, it's really important that rather than trying to predict a precise number, we tell people, you know, what, where the decision will make, what to watch for in the turnout. And, and bluntly, this is a discussion that you and I and several others had earlier this year about the governor's primary in uh, in utah mm -hmm. you know it came down to a question of were the people who showed up to vote in that primary going to be uh more the people who uh traditionally voted in the republican primary or would it be would there be a lot of new people brought into the process one outcome was good for cox one outcome was good for huntsman we could tell which was which <laughs> but we didn't know precisely how many would show up in each group yeah, and I think that's uh, that's so vital. And part of those conversations uh, that you mentioned uh, that we've uh, surely had and had with some uh, of our friends around the country 
is that we we really need to start looking at the the data that we're gathering, the kind of polling that we're doing, uh, not as a way to help the forecaster, the consultants, the politicians uh, figure out how to raise more money, or or how to how to you know what kind of messaging is going to work in a in a negative campaign ad, uh, but more helping them to understand. The American people in your in your piece, you said that very thing that uh, we should offer more data designed to help forecasters and politicians understand America. Can we get on that path? Yes, uh, we can. And I think what one of the things that will require is pollsters establishing credibility uh, separate from the elections to recognize there are different purposes and make sure we can show what what is a credible um, approach. Uh, one part of it I explained in the column is we need to we need to discuss not so much issues as they're talked about in Washington, but underlying attitudes. Uh, and and uh, the one example I, I've used it several times in the last uh, month or so, the campaign to explain this gap um, on election night with all the other stuff going on. I saw scrolling several poll results about whether voters wanted Roe v. Wade overturned. And, you know, that's an important question for the Supreme Court to work on. And voters, some voters have real passionate opinions about it. But when I actually asked voters what would happen if Roe v. Wade is overturned, 56 percent do not know. So if voters don't know what it means to overturn Roe v. Wade, what does asking that polling question mean? No, instead, we really should explore some of what they would like to see, what kind of a uh, a policy would they like to see? What kind of a nation would they like to see? What kind of a society would they like to see? And how do these issues fit into it? Uh, we need to talk in the language of everyday Americans, not in the language of politics. Yeah, far too often we've got uh, politicians trying to solve their political problems uh, instead of getting, right. getting that sense, as you described it, Scott, of uh, understanding the what are the problems of the American people? What are they worried about? Helping them understand that better. Well, and Boyd, you know, in this last election, right, one of the things that I really critiqued was something polling did very well, um, should have been the primary uh, foundational piece of election night coverage. Uh, we knew that people voting by mail were very heavily going to vote for Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. Not so much in Utah, because Utah has experience with this, but in a lot of states around the country who have never had much uh, mail-in voting before, that was going to be a big deal. And we knew that people voting in person on Election Day were going to be heavily pro-Trump. And we had a pretty good sense that, of where the others who had voted in person early were. So the key variable was going to be how many people show up on Election Day, where are those voters, you know, and how heavily are they going for the president? Um, if we had done that, we would never have had this impression that was given by some of the networks that the president had a real shot and was way ahead in a place like Michigan. Mm -hmm. He wasn't. It was just that the votes that we knew were going to be favorable to him came in. Um, so I think there's there needs to be a rethinking. And if I was to, if I was charged with uh, designing election night 2024 for any network, I would begin by saying it's no longer election night. It's no longer the 1960s. Uh, let's talk about election month, and yeah. let's really focus on giving voters an understanding of the process, understanding which states you know, have some different procedures, what to look for, and then providing information uh, and, and make it understandable so uh, 
you know, the, the other night I was at a restaurant with my wife and there was a football game on. I looked up at the scoreboard and, and instantly I knew the dynamic because the scoreboard was so concise. It gave me all the information I needed. We need to have the election coverage be that clear as well. Yeah. It's not about making the experts look smart. It's about informing the viewers. Oh, that's fantastic. Great insight, as always, from our good friend Scott Rasmussen. Uh, you can check out his piece. We've got it on our Facebook page. You can also go to Deseret.com. Uh, it really is the definitive piece on uh, polling moving forward. Scott, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Boyd. All right, we're going to go ahead and step aside for a quick commercial break. When we come back, we'll look at uh, the balance of power and what to expect in the days ahead as we look at Transition 2020 uh, coming up here on KSL News Radio. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.